good to welcome you this morning. Good to have you worshiping with us today. I read recently about a ministry model that essentially operates in the same principle as the original 12-step programs that came out many years ago. This ministry, they are attempting to build community with people who are facing what they've called deaths, deaths of despair, deaths of despair. They come in three main categories, three main ways in which people kill themselves. One instant, the others linger a little longer. The first one, of course, is suicide. The most recent uh, statistics show that about 47,000 people committed suicide last year with about 132 deaths, suicides per day. With the fastest growing groups, first one being women aged 60 to 64, and that's up 60% over the last few years. And the second one, the second group being 50-year-old men, up about 50% in that same time period. Death by suicide, of course, is instant. The next death of despair is drug overdose and drug use. It's not quite as instant in all cases, but... There's 70,000 deaths related to drug overdose and drug use last year. The third death is just as lethal, although not doesn't happen quite as quickly, and that is death by alcohol-related issues. 88,000 victims of that last year. It is slower, but as I said, just as deadly. Why so much despair? Why so much despair and what can be done about it? Well, on the despair side, I guess it's probably kind of obvious. For starters, watch the 5 o'clock news. The war in Ukraine. Saber rattling between the U.S. and China. Nationalism over globalism. The political climate. In fact, I saw yesterday over the one-hour Martinizing or whatever in, uh, in Ontario, a sign that said, political jokes, political jokes aren't funny. Sometimes they get elected. I think that's indicative of, unfortunately, of our, the times in which we live. And then you throw on top of it natural disasters, the earthquake in Turkey and Syria, for example, which the death toll is upwards near 50,000 or more. The environmental issues, health issues. I literally have to pause the 5 o'clock news if my grandchildren are in the room. Otherwise, they will be stricken with nightmares for the next night and uh, even on, on after that. There's more than enough for us to be anxious of. That is for sure. But for the believer, there is good news. For the lost, there is good news. Jeff Lavender shared with me last week a spiritual awakening that is taking place at Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky. 
Asbury University has been known through the years for its history of great revivals. There have been several occasions when significant moves of the Holy Spirit have swept the campus and reached across the nation. February 1905, during a blizzard, a prayer meeting in the men's dormitory spilled out to the rest of the campus, as well as to the town of Wilmore. February 1908, revival broke out while someone prayed in chapel. The revival lasted two weeks and was signified by prevailing prayer and intercession. February 1921, the last service of a planned revival lasted until 6 a.m. the next day and services were extended for three days. February 1950, student missionary led to con a student testimony led to confessions, victories, and more testimonies. This went on uninterrupted for 118 hours and became the second leading news story nationwide. It is estimated that 50,000 people found a new experience in Christ as a result of that revival. And then March 1958, revival began in, its, in a student fasting and prayer meeting that spilled over into chapel and lasted for 63 hours. And another one is recorded in February 3rd of 1970, March of 1992, and February of 2006. And I found it fascinating as I read that account of how many of those revivals began in February. At the end of a long, dark winter, People are confined, looking for something to do, and the prayer re meetings wound up spreading into revival. And it is happening again. It started this year on February 8th. And the word that, uh, that came back is that the Lord is at work as radical compassion, confession, change, and transformation are taking place. They are experiencing the hand of God in a touch from God, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I heard this morning after the service of individuals who are traveling from foreign countries to travel there to uh, attend and often wait in line or driving by car, long lines of cars, waiting in line for, to be a part of the experience. I've watched some clips from there. Uh, they won't allow TV cameras in. I appreciate that. They're trying not to make it, sensationalize it. And from what I've seen, there are no wild people uncontrollably racing around the room. No students barking like dogs or squealing like pigs. Now, you may think that sounds strange, and it does, but I know of other movements that resulted in that. This one seems to be uh, much more consistent with scripture and glorifying to God. Prayer, testimonies, and worship and the preaching of God's word seem to be driving what is taking place. Now I would propose to you, like Pentecost, and like what is going on in Asbury, that that touch of the Holy Spirit is available to us right here right now we can receive a fresh touch from God if we seek it I don't want to ask for a show of hands but I would like to know how many of us would like a fresh touch from God 
something tangible. That's why you're leaving Singapore, buying an expensive ticket, flying here, making arrangements and accommodations. They're wanting something tangible. They're wanting to see something. How many of us would like a fresh touch from God like that? To show us, to remind us that you're okay. Everything is going to be all right. Well, it, it is available to us. It's available to us anytime we want it. If we will just take and drink. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll start where we did last week. Paul went one direction. We followed him. But this week we're going to go a little bit different direction. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Paul writes, the body is a unit. The church, all Christians make up this body. We're a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all of its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were, all, we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. So then Paul goes on and will spend several more chapters uh, dealing with uh, that the work of the Holy Spirit in the early church and in the church today. We talked last week about what it meant to be baptized into the body. And as I said, he'll spend the rest of this chapter and several others teaching what the baptism of the Spirit looks like. That baptism that we talked about last week that happens the moment we believe in and receive Christ in our lives. We read this last week, but we did not touch on this. And this is where we're going to today. Second part of verse 13. And we were all given the one Spirit to drink. We were all baptized by the Spirit into one body, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. I think that's what's taking place in Asbury. If you want to drink, or better, if you want to drink constantly, we're going to talk about that today. And as I said, there are actually people from all over the world who are trying to get there to what I think is drink of the Holy Spirit. And so... Drinking from the one spirit, what does it mean? Number one, it means that the spirit wells up within us, resulting in eternal life. Now again, we're all given the one spirit to drink. Jesus was preparing to leave his disciples. In fact, he was preparing his disciples for what was to come during his three years of ministry. As he got closer to the end, he was preparing them for when he was going to be gone. But earlier in, his, earlier in his ministry, we find over in John chapter 4, verse 10, he begins early by speaking about the coming spirit. In John chapter 4, verse 10 through 13, this is the story of the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. And Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God... And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, 
as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds. And Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Everybody who drinks the water in this world that we drink thirsts again. Everybody who looks to be satisfied in this world eventually is thirsty again. Verse 14, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Whoever drinks the water from Jacob's well, whoever drinks the, the, what this world has to offer, whoever chases after what this world offers, whoever thinks that will satisfy, soon finds out it is not enough, and they thirst again. So number one, drinking in the Spirit means that the Spirit, Jesus said, wells up within us, resulting in eternal life. It's a gusher. It's a geyser. It's more than what we can imagine. It's an unending spring of water welling up to eternal life. There are a lot of gas wells around this area that were so promising 10 to 12 years ago. They're being pulled out now. They're being removed. Now, there are some that are producing, but there are many more that are not. There's product down there. There is gas and there is petroleum. But the wells have lost their pressure. They never did deliver. The product is still there. They lost the pressure. And in order to get the product out, you'd have to have a, a pump to pump it out. And it's not cost-effective right yet, but probably around Memorial Day, when we're 5 or $6 a gallon, maybe they'll drill again. The Holy Spirit does not lose his pressure. He wells up. He is a spring that wells up in the believer. If that is not happening in your life, there's a problem. Because the Holy Spirit wells up. Perhaps you put the well in the wrong place, which is what happened with some of these wells around here. Or perhaps it's been plugged one way or the other. Because the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives will well up and it will result in eternal life. Number two, the Spirit teaches and reminds us of everything that Jesus said. It is the job of the Holy Spirit to teach and remind us of everything Jesus said. Now, these words were spoken within a day or two of the crucifixion of Christ. In John chapter 14, verse 25, he's speaking to his disciples. And he says, all this I've spoken, this is John 14, 25, all this I've spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, or the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will will remind you of everything I have said to you. Now this was particularly important to the apostles because there was no gospel. There were no epistles. There were no letters. There was nothing recorded for the church Now, outside of the Old Testament. It had to be brought to mind. The apostles had to be reminded. It had to be brought to mind so they knew what to write. How this works for us is that the Holy Spirit brings to mind what we have read, what we've memorized, what we have heard to, re, to remind us. 
Things like turn the other cheek, be quick to forgive, be slow to anger, live at peace with all men, and etc. All the things that we've been taught since early days in Sunday school. But it's not magic. The Holy Spirit brought back to their mind what they had already heard Jesus say. We cannot learn it by osmosis. We have to read it. We have to hear it. Believing comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's what our faith is based on. That's how it grows. I find it fascinating when I'm struggling over a difficult concept or idea. And I've studied and read and studied and just can't quite get it. I have Somebody came in this week and said, hey, what commentary do you recommend? I said, because I've been reading this one and this one and this one, and they all disagree. Well, that's, uh, that's kind of the nature of the, that's the nature of the beast. But I find as I read and study and pray that the Holy Spirit brings to mind, the Holy Spirit teaches me. And it's a wonderful model for Sunday school teachers, discipleship teachers. Read over your subject that you're going to be teaching Read over and over and ask the Holy Spirit for discernment. I remember when I first started teaching the high school Sunday school class over 40 years ago. I didn't have any training, I, uh, but I determined I will teach the Bible. And we would do it in a setting where everybody could discuss and try to make it interesting and fun for everybody. It was not an exaggeration to say that in those days, I was, a, I was a roofing contractor, but I might spend as many as 20 hours a week preparing for a 45-minute Sunday school lesson. I was scared to death to go in unprepared before those teenagers. When I did not prepare, I paid for it. But when I prepared and prayed and sought the Holy Spirit, he came through. He reminded me. He helped things come to my mind. A lot of times, that's one of the biggest fears that, that many teachers have is, what if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? Well, first of all, study a lot. Second of all, be honest. Hey, I'll get some help. I don't know the answer to that, if that is the case. Do your part. Spirit will do his part. Number three, and this is closely related the Spirit guides us into all truth. The Spirit guides us into all truth. John chapter 16, verse 6. And this is part of a long discourse that Jesus is teaching his disciples as he's preparing to leave. He says, because I have said these things, you're filled with grief. Because he said, I'm going to be leaving you and you can't come where I'm going. He says, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. Now, the counselor is the Holy Spirit. It's the office. It's a description of what he does. It's another name for the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now hear. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will guide you into all truth. 
You have a tough decision, a tough choice. You seek the Spirit, and He will guide you into all truth. This is the job of the Spirit. This is what the Spirit is up to today. This is how He manifests Himself. He is about truth, teaching, reminding us. He's about welling up, being alive, welling up within us. What's going on at Asbury today is about confession and fasting and praying and seeking God's forgiveness and seeking God's empowering. He guides us into all truth. Number four, he fills us. He fills us. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, do not get drunk on wine. Ephesians 5, 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. But I'll repeat verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, Paul uses this comparison between getting drunk on wine and being filled with the Spirit because when we, when we do either one of those, we look different. Our behavior changes. We act different. When we get drunk on wine, it alters our behavior. Usually lessens our inhibitions. Maybe we do things we wouldn't do otherwise. But it affects our behavior visibly to the extreme, even stumbling and slurring, not walking a straight line, etc. Just like when we're filled with the Spirit, it is visible. When we drink Him in, when we're full, when maybe we're so full we're about to burst because He's welling up, our behavior should look different. Should look like we're on something. We're on the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is the purpose, is what we're after. Someone shared, and this made a lot of sense to me, the fruit of the Spirit is more important than the gifts of the Spirit. In that the gifts are given to produce fruit. That's why the gifts are given. Gifts are like fertilizer. We do not put fertilizer on the field for the sake of fertilizer. We put fertilizer on the field to produce more fruit, more hay, more corn, more tomatoes, more berries, more cantaloupe, more cucumbers. I asked Cody Kramer in the earlier service, because I'd heard a high figure like this before, if you were uh, raising a crop of onions, how much fertilizer, how much, co how much would you put in your budget for fertilizer to cost? Any, any guesses out there? What do you think would be a high number to put in for fertilizer costs for one onion, one acre of onion? Anybody? $8,200. Seems like a lot of money to me. We put about $100 an acre, maybe $150 on for, to grow grass and, and alfalfa. $8,200 if you want some really nice looking and a lot of good onions. But you don't spend $8,200 just because you have it. You spend it for the fruit. The goal, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to produce the fruit, a crop. And that fruit is love, it is joy, it is peace, it is patience, 
It is kindness. It is goodness. It is faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the purpose of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Not for some necessarily supernatural experience or feeling, but to produce fruit. To produce a family and a marriage and a society that work, that get along. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. He fills us so we might produce maximum fruit. Now very quickly, what does that look like? How are we filled with the Spirit? How do we drink in? How do we drink of the Spirit? Well, I list 10 ways, actually 11. Number one, the Word. Read the Word. Read the Bible. It starts there. That is the beginning. Psalm 119. Psalm 119. I read it in devotions this week. Some of you perhaps did as well. Psalm 119. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. In other words, the law of the Lord, the Bible, God's word. Blessed are they who keep his statutes. Blessed are those who know the laws and follow them and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You've laid down precepts. You've laid down laws that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame. When I consider all your commands, I will praise you with an upright heart. As I learn your righteous laws, I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all of my heart. Do not let me, do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on all your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I do not neglect your word. That's where it begins. The Bible. I had somebody call me this week and they were in a great deal of distress. They don't go to, they don't go to any church, but uh, I'm trying to counsel them a little bit and go, hey, do you have a Bible? Yeah, I have a Bible. Well, could you get it? Well, no, I don't know where it is. Well, it'd be very helpful. That's, if you want through this crisis, get your Bible, find it, and, and, uh, and read it. And go where I'm, where I'm directing you. So... I don't know how far we got, but I don't, have, I don't have anything else to help you with other than God's word. Read the Bible. Number two, obey. Look at how many times in there he listed that this is the law and help me to obey it. These are your precepts. Help me to obey them. Obedience. There's no, there's no substitute for it. Spirit teaches you, obey him. Number three is prayer. And, and add to that fasting. Fasting. In fact, I'm encouraging you and would ask you maybe perhaps to fast one meal this week. Skip one meal for the very purpose of you are going to seek the Lord. You're going to spend that time 
instead of eating, and that time when you're hungry, that time when your stomach is growling, you're going to spend that time praying and seeking the Lord. I was, uh, I shared earlier when I was, uh, when I was a young person here in this community, I was either playing sports, sleeping, or hunting. We hunted all the time if there was something to be hunted. And I remember one time Doug White and I were right out here near uh, uh, Bluff Road, and the ducks were just coming in there like crazy. And we were able to sneak up on them. We knew they were just right over the bank, and Doug made one noise on his call, and apparently it didn't sound very authentic because every duck, thousands of ducks, all at once darkened the sky. And I, back in those days, I had a, a, a pump-action shotgun, and so I pumped three shells into the air as quick as I could. Not one bird fell. Another time, hunting in the very similar area, I uh, jumped... Uh, about a dozen ducks off of a small pond and I aimed right straight at one green mallard and four fell. One shot, they all fell out of the sky. Meditating, praying, fasting. Fasting helps us to aim at what we're, is on our heart. It helps us to focus our attention on the issue, as opposed to just throwing it out there and hoping something happens. So prayer and fasting is one great way that we drink in the Spirit. Number four is worship. Now, these are not in any kind of order, and there, there's thousands that could be on here. For, for many, this is number one for you, but only for some. That is good. But without one, two, and three, once again, it's like flock shooting. So worship is a wonderful way to drink in the Lord. We enjoyed that. It was great this morning as we drank from the Spirit. And number five, med meditation. Thinking about what you've read and heard, thinking about it, and remembering. Remember the Spirit teaches and reminds us. Meditation plugs us into that. Number six, memorizing. Memorize some scripture, maybe one verse this month. Give it a try. It gives the Holy Spirit some ammunition to remind you of. Number seven, service. Using the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives you. When you are serving, when you're using your gifts, the Spirit naturally is flowing through you and you're drinking in the Spirit by using your gifts of service. Number eight, counsel. As I said, I had several people call this week, more than usual. If you need some counsel, give a call. You need some counsel, seek a friend. Seek another Christian. Come by the church. We'd love to hear from you. Number nine, join a class or a cell group. Get in a group. If you don't like the one you're in, find one you do like. Number 10, tune your radio or TV to some spiritual programming. These are ways of drinking in the Spirit. These are avenues for bringing the Spirit into your life. And number 11, I added at the last minute, nature. 
It should not be number one. I know some people, I'll do some funerals for individuals. I've never seen them before, never met them. Uh, their, their sanctuary was out in nature. It was out in the woods. It was out on the river. It was out on the lake. That's where they felt close to God. I understand that is a good place to feel close to God, but it is not enough, and it is not the only place, and it is not number one. I will say I did enjoy some nature this week, just looking out my, uh, my bedroom window. Uh, we had corn in uh, the field last year, and the geese and the ducks have been enjoying it quite a bit of late. And yesterday, the geese were just coming in like crazy. And right up close to my house, the Canadian geese were landing there. And then on the far side of the field, the snow geese were landing out there. And then in the middle, the speckle bellies were landing there. They were all kind of segregated. They all kept themselves to their, uh, to their own kind. But it was really fascinating to see and watch and watch them come in. There's a lot to be gained from enjoying, enjoying what God has created and giving him credit. People are looking for what the Spirit has to offer. In Kentucky, they're driving for miles. As I said, they're flying in. They're lining up. But I guarantee you that the same Spirit is available right here, right now, if we will just drink of the Spirit, if we will make ourselves available and drink in the one Spirit that Jesus sent to us. Let's pray. Jesus, Father, we thank you that, that, your son, that your son left. Because if that's what it took for the Holy Spirit to be here, then that's you know best. And we appreciate that, and we thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you've baptized us into your body. And we thank you for the tremendous privilege of drinking of your spirit. Lord, I ask that today each one of us might consider drinking a little bit more of your spirit, whether it is one of these ideas we talked about or, or some other way entirely. Father, we ask for your touch, much like they are, much like they're seeking there in Kentucky. We want a touch from you. We want your peace that passes all understanding. We ask for that right now. Father, we thank you, we love you, and we give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.